In this episode of Getting to There, I had the pleasure to sit down with a man that's risen from nothing to become one of the largest franchise owners in the real estate world. David Osborne has the persistence and conviction that sets him apart, creating a foundation for individuals that wanted to grab life big on a napkin. Being a world traveler with a vein for adventure, David discusses the importance of family and balance. So please sit back and enjoy this episode of Getting to There. Um, thanks for joining us. Wanted to ask you about your decision to travel when you were 26, travel the world. Yeah, so that's an interesting story. My best friend from college was one year behind me and his family had a tradition of traveling around the world. And he'd asked me to go with him and I said, no, I'm going to work and I'm gonna make some money and it's not my family tradition, it's yours. I love traveling already because of the military background of moving with my dad all the time, but I wasn't willing to take off a year. Um, my first job out of college was selling computer systems door to door. So I'd walk into a skyscraper and I would just walk down the skyscraper, knocking on doors, trying to sell computer systems. And it was a good job and I enjoyed it. It was very challenging. Um, and I was one of the top salespeople. But my boss wanted a little bit more from me than just work. It's kind of like a me too moment, I guess they call it, or him too, or whatever. Uh, back then, I guess we just called it life. But it was an uncomfortable situation. She was married. She was probably 10 years older than me. And after putting up with it for a year, I just decided it was it was a bust. I was out. So I turned to my buddy actually a few months before I quit and said, look, man, I'm in. I'm going to sell everything. I moved home, tried to save as many paychecks as I could, was able to save $10,000 and went hitchhiking around the world with my best bud. And uh, the ticket cost 3000 so I basically had 20 bucks a day for one year of travel is what it was supposed to be, but it ended up stretching out to two years and three months. That's awesome. So you have a lot going on. That's probably an understatement. What is your time management process? There's 700 books on the title, but you got it figured out. So what, you know, how do you, well, how do you, you do know, that? So, and this has been a lifetime of mastery because I was terrible at time management when I started. Um, I'm a little, you know, hyperactive. They call it ADD today, but when I was a kid, we just called it hyperactive, I think. Um, and what I found works best for me is I'm still a journal guy. So I still like to write and touch a journal. Um, what I do with this journal is I start from the front with my to do's. So here's like a bunch of to do's. There's like 48 of them on here. And then on the back of my journal, I put the different businesses, the projects I'm working on, on a tab. So that way, if I'm dealing with GoBundance, which you and I are both a part of, which is an organization for entrepreneurs that have their own businesses, I can just flip to the GoBundance page, which is the green tab, of course. And if I'm having a conversation with the CEO of GoBundance or part of the team there, I just write down my notes from that project because I'm going to refer to that project again. So then I move through my life by going from the front to the back of my work journal. If I'm interviewing an employee, I'll just I try to use the left pages for interviews or conversations, the right pages for to-dos. I'm not perfect at that. But if I were to have an interview with a potential employee, I'd write it all here. If I had an interview with a potential investor and I wanted to remember the names of their kids or whatever they had to say, that would all be on the left side. And then my to-dos, I'm trying to check off on the right side. And then my projects, so if I'm meeting, again, always with the principles, things that I think will recur. That's the difference. If it's a one-off thing, it's going on the front of the journal. If it's something I got to revisit in one month, two months, or three months, it goes to the back of the journal. So Magnify Capital is my private equity fund. I just transferred this information. That's our 10-year goals and our five-year goals. 
And my first conversations inside the company were right here. This is a new journal, as I said. So it's a pretty good system. And then the third thing, as you know, I do, which I don't have right here, is my goals. So, so this is how I work and how I move like 10 different businesses forward. And again, I have a lot of operating businesses. My, I, my CPA says 60 or 70, but a lot of them could be lumped into the same category. So REO is one. There's a lot of different real estate companies. Uh, I have 12 Keller Williams Market Centers. So that's just one tab. I have five master franchises. So they break down into one tab. And that's how I operate on a day-to-day -day basis. And then on the personal side, I have my list of 80 goals, which your listeners can get at thegoaltemplate.com. And I, I follow and review that at least once a week. Anything that catches my eye gets transferred into the to-do list over here. And it's not uncommon that I'll be having a meeting in a, a luxury box like I was at the Longhorns Oklahoma game, which sadly the Longhorns lost last weekend. And a guy said something I thought was valuable. I whipped out my phone. I've typed a note to myself, and then when I got back the next day and I was reviewing, I transferred it over. Nice. Um, so that's kind of how I operate. It's just really a matter of capturing all, and actually just talking to you, I just remembered I missed something. So now you've made me remember. There you go. Uh, it's really, a matter of, yeah, perfect. The call's already been useful. Um, it's a matter of just capturing all the threads that are in the universe that have to be tied into the tapestry of my life and putting them on a to-do date, putting them on the schedule, the other component I have to this, Fred, that most people may not have is I have an excellent staff and the team. It's specifically my chief of staff, and they have full access to this. They review it when it's sitting in my office. They're looking through, seeing what are the to-dos that are important to David. What does David need to get done? They look through the projects. So I, it's not just me trying to stay on top of everything. I have a team that stays on top with me. So do you have a separate book if you need to get rid of someone on your team and you have to remind yourself about that? You don't want them to see that on, on that book? Uh, I don't, you know, I'm pretty direct. If I'm not happy, you're going to know. Gotcha. And I give people a lot of time to adjust. I'm cool. not really a secretive guy. Um, I kind of say, look, uh, this isn't working out that good for us. And, you know, here's why. Right. And maybe you're not a match. And that's okay, too. A lot of times great people thrive somewhere else, not inside your organization. So we're, we're not, I don't have a lot of secrets. Um, but I'm probably not going to write down there, this guy's a, you know, terrible employee because right. I don't have to do that. I just put, put it, put Put Fred on a 90-day review. <laughs> Understand. Hopefully, I'm not on that list. So, um, with all these things going on, how do you recharge? I, I think as people get more successful, they have more pools at their life, both personal and professional. Um, how do you recharge so that you're the best you can be for your family and for the people that are counting on you? That's a great question. And I've uh, again, I've hacked this over a lifetime of of getting overly stressed and feeling like and literally having a nervous breakdown when I was 31 or something similar to that, where I was just so broken inside while still trying to outwardly look like I was functioning. And mainly because I wasn't sharp, you know, recuperating, I was just driving all the time. I reached the limits of my physical capacity. So what I do now, and I, again, I picked up all of my wisdom comes from other people that I just implement. Execution is way more important than ideas. And I put four, vacations in my calendar every year. Right now, my wife and I are already talking about what we want to do in 2019. One of those vacations is going to be epic. I just came back from seeing the Northern Lights, uh, Iceland and, fin and Paris, and it was amazing. And I went with a big group of families for the first part of the trip and then just my family for the second part of the trip. Was super refreshed, couldn't work. I mean, I was moving fast that were, were time difference. I probably worked at maybe an hour every other day or something. Um, and it forces me to 
completely check out, completely be as present as I can to my family. So I do one of those a quarter, not necessarily that big, but one a quarter where there's a good vacation. And then I do a little sub vacation, sim similar thing, like little getaways, uh, Cabo to go golfing or, you know, maybe with a, I'm not a big Vegas fan, but as an example, maybe a couple couples to, to Vegas. And I also make sure I have family trips and I make sure I have couples trips. I make sure I have date nights with my wife. It all goes back to my flight path and my goals um, and really just holding myself accountable to what I create right about now, actually, which is the flight plan for my life. That's awesome. So you've been broke and you've had $100 million. Where on that spectrum was money taken care of? Like, is it the $15 million level that you're like, all right, I got that. Now I'm going to do the other stuff. I mean, you kept going, but at some point the money wasn't the driver because you were comfortable on that spectrum from, you know, bankrupt to a hundred million. Where, where is, where was that for you? Um, well, it was great having 20 bucks a day. Honestly, I lived on $7,000 in over a year. I met a rich girl out there and lived with her for a while. So that, that extended the trip about nine months. And that was, I was working, but she had, she didn't really have money. She had property. So we converted it into rentals and we were just doing what I'd always done, rental income and stuff like that. So that was nice. Um, but it was great to live on 20 bucks a day, hitchhiking around the world and staying on people's couches and leaning into people's hospitality. And the reason I'm so generous with my house now and my wife calls it like a, a train station because people come and go so much is I just I had so much kindness given to me when I was hitchhiking around the world that I try to pay that forward. So. But what changes, I think, is around two to three hundred thousand dollars a year in income. It's more an income issue, really, than a net worth issue. Right. Because when you have about two or three hundred thousand a year. And certainly at 500, there's nothing you can't do. Maybe when I travel, I'm staying now at the Ritz-Carlton and before I was staying at the Westin and before that I was staying at a courtyard by Marriott, but I'm still staying in a, house, a room with a bed. Maybe now I'm renting occasionally a, a Jeep SUV and in the past I was renting a Kia, but it's still a car that drives you places. Maybe when I go to a game now, I'm in a luxury box and before I was in the mezzanine, but you're still at the game. You know, so life doesn't really change that much above around, I think, 300,000 in disposable income, 250 to 300. Um, it gets more refined and better, but it doesn't get dramatically different until you hit a very big number. So I think around two to 300,000 a year. And what does it take to do that? Because, as you know, I'm a cash flow guy. That's a certain number of businesses and properties or royalty income or dividend paying stocks or master uh, what are those things, those master partnerships and things yeah. like that? I've always been a cash flow guy. I read so, once that so the, a, um, a luxury once experience becomes a necessity. So as, as you know, as, as you go to the Marriott and you want to go to the other place, you never go back to the Marriott, you know. There's a lot of truth in that, Fred, and I'm a little disappointed in myself because I used to live in tents and youth hostels just fine, and I've definitely become a snob. I've been spoiled. I'm aware of it, which I guess is, is better than being unaware of it, but for sure, you know, we stayed in a beautiful hotel in Paris and it was probably built 400 years ago and it was expensive, but you could hear everybody upstairs, every door that closed. And I'm like, wow, I think I'd rather be in an American right. new four seasons or something, you know, just because I want that quiet time. One of if my the air conditioner blows on me in a hotel, I get fussy. Yeah, I've gotten spoiled, no question. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, is you know, what was the first thing you treated yourself to once you, you made it or once you had a big case? You know, for me, it was the Rolex that still doesn't keep good time, but I got it and I checked it off. Um, you know, what was your what was your first big? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, there's two things that come to mind. Number one was I finally bought a um, 
barely new car. I, I didn't buy a new car until I bought one for my wife. I just couldn't get my mind in across the value proposition of buying a one or two year old car. But I finally bought a forty thousand year old, uh, forty thousand dollar Lexus when I was, I don't know, I was probably thirty something and thirty two, thirty three, and I was having a good year. And I was tired of the agents that worked in my office that I knew made less than me driving nicer cars than me. And I was tired of being embarrassed about walking to my car because I had a very old car um, that I'd kind of beat up. And so that was probably the first thing. And the second thing I noticed is a smaller thing, but I get a lot of massages. I try to get one a week. Um, and that was a reward I gave myself as I made more money because before I, obviously it seemed like a lot of buck money, a hundred bucks a pop or 80 or whatever it was back then. But now I try to get a massage in my house. My wife and I probably once every other week, I, I, I want to keep my body working and I'm bad at stretching. And so the massage kind of makes up for some of that. So I just assumed that maybe you're sandbagging me. I just assumed it was going to be the jet. Didn't you, didn't you treat yourself? Oh, so how do you yeah, forget well, about that? Uh, See, that's how I know. That you, you said the first thing. You said the first thing. <laughs> so that, okay, the, the last- that was a way later evolution, and that was 2013. I had a buddy that had a private plane, and I'd been using it on and off for a few years. And I struggled really hard with that one, man. I just didn't think it was a wise decision, and it's not. Um, one thing that got me across the finish line is a friend of mine said to me one time, do you think you'll make more money with the plane? And the first one was a turboprop. Will you make more money with a plane or less money? And I'm like, well, probably more money, I would think, because I'd be more happy and I'd get more done, and I could go get more stuff done in a shorter period of time. And so I bought the plane and my income went up every year for the next four years and really doubled in four years. Now that could be true, true, but unrelated. In other words, it could be uncausally related because the right. economy was also recovering, but it's certainly a good justification for staying in the private transportation. And what I said earlier, there's only one thing that you can't have at two to 300,000 a year that you can at a higher number it's the private transportation. That makes a big difference and it's really great to, to be able to have an appointment and not have to end it because of a flight and to be able to get home to my kids, kiss them before they go to sleep instead of coming home on whatever the airlines have for me um, and coming direct instead of having to hop. The actual moment on the plane isn't that different. In fact, it's almost more comfortable in a commercial aircraft, especially in first class. But, but the convenience, the timing, the fact that it waits for you instead of you having to meet it, all of that is a game changer. And I love it, and I hope I don't have to ever sacrifice it, but I could live without it if I had to. So a plane and boat are in the same category for me. It's nice to have a friend that has them, but I don't necessarily have to have them, you know. It's I'll, better that way. Yeah. You're, you're way smarter, way so better. If you were, if you were given a, an award um, and no one knows why, what would your friends and family think the award given to you would be for? Oh, if I was given an award, what would they say? You no, know, that's a great question. Uh, I think I'm s relentless. I just think I keep going. They'd give me the persistence award or the relentless award or the just take on more and more and figure out a way to get it all done. That's what I tend to do. Start new stuff. I've got enough stuff going on for five guys. Now, that doesn't mean I have the strength of five guys or the capacity of five guys. I just have life hacks and techniques to manage what it would probably take a lot of people you know most people just choose one of the five things I've got going on nice but because of the way I work through other people and the way I manage my life and my goal setting processes um, it enables me to leverage up to a much bigger scale and then the other thing I think they might say is that I 
I'm willing to embrace change. Like if something's not working, I'll change. And, and I, I want balance in all areas. So I want to be a great dad. I'm really focused on that right now. I got a quote from a guy at that same football game. And he said, you know, anytime your daughter asks you to do something, you should say yes, because you're establishing self-esteem in her. And if she has low self-esteem later, she won't, she'll allow other guys to treat her badly. So I immediately sucked that into my life. And even though I was super tired on Sunday, my daughter's like, hey, will you come judge my teddy bears in a fashion show? And I said, yes. You know, I'm like, I got it. I absorbed that. And there might have been a, I don't know how I'd have reacted before that lesson, but I'm trying to really absorb those lessons of being there for my kids, being there for my daughter while doing all this stuff. So um, I think embracing change and learning and knowledge is something I'm pretty good at. I went on a business trip and I gave my twins each an hour certificate to use any way they want. And they have me doing the stupidest things, but I'm doing it because it's their time. It's whatever they want to do. So I, I haven't done a uh, beauty pageant, but I have played with Barbies and hopefully we'll edit that yeah. in post-op. Um, <laughs> so if you were given a do-over, what would you use it for? So I have a 31-year-old daughter that it's easy. It's the only really thing that I regret. Um, and in high school, right after a, 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 a woman who was a couple years older than me and we had a fling and she got pregnant, and I asked for a blood test and she said no, and she moved away and married another guy in Minnesota, so I never really thought about it. And then eight years later, I got a phone call and she was divorcing that guy and wanted to come see me. And we never had hard feelings. I was like, sure, come on. And then as soon as I met my eight-year-old, then eight-year-old daughter, I realized she was mine. And I wished I'd had the first eight years with her. And um, you know, I was 19 years old. I was a, kind of a mess back then. And I just didn't really take ownership of that. I have excuses, but it doesn't matter. Sure. I regret not getting those eight years. You're a your inspiration for people. Who is your inspiration and has that changed over the years? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, a lot of people inspire me, by the way. Um, you inspire me. Oh. Guys in GoBundant that are aspiring. And anyone that's aspiring, uh, they, they, they inspire me because... Life's not easy. There's a lot of junk. It's quite easy to settle into self-pity, blame, make it all about the fact that, you know, you're born with weren't born with privilege, or you were your mom didn't love you enough, or your dad beat you, or whatever. Um, but if you just get over all of that and you aspire and you push and you move forward and you try to make things happen, that inspires me deeply. And especially when you're limited, like um, you know, I know it, this year at Breckenridge we're having some some speakers that have had incredible challenges and uh, they still are aspiring. And that inspires me. A born a guy born with like one little hand that barely right here, no legs and no arm. Another guy that was born with brittle bone disease, people that lose people, people that, you know, have kids with sicknesses. I mean, all that, when I see that, I'm so grateful and so inspired that they can keep a positive attitude in spite of those challenges. And then on a personal basis, I used to be a big Tony Robbins fan. I still am, but I, I don't really need inspiration anymore, so I've moved on from that, if that's what you're looking for. Um, Gary Keller was a huge inspiration for me. My parents were a massive inspiration for me in different ways. Um, and I'm just constantly looking for people, so I, leaning into Richard Branson a little bit. Elon Musk is inspirational. People that just make stuff happen at a big level. Because I know what it takes, and, and it's, 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 it's relentless. You just gotta be all in all the time. You're gonna get your teeth kicked in, people you know, judge you, chastise you. There's no way you rise out without controversy and without people finding reasons to talk negative about you. And 
and and you sometimes bring it on yourself by doing stupid stuff. So all of that you have to just keep overcoming. You know, it's like standing up and public speaking for the first time, which terrified me, right? And now I can speak in front of hundreds of people, and I'm not that affected. But it's just you gotta you, you just keep going. You gotta keep pushing yourself forward, and you know you know everyone. You, you think, and even today when I speak, I always see one guy with a frowny face or one lady like scowling at me, and I'm like, they hate me. And, I, and that's what I'm thinking when I'm up there trying to share something. And then usually that person comes up to me on the break and goes, that was amazing. You just touched my life. And still I've got this, you know, this, you got this self judgment that I think we all have that wants to tear yourself down and you just got to shut that out and aspire, aspire, push, push towards your outcome and your purpose. Well, there's something I, I attribute to you. So I hope you said it because I, I, I've been telling people you said it, but it, it's t something to the effect of if, if you're not, if, if you're the richest man in the room, you're in the wrong room. Like you can't aspire yeah. to be better. And don't, rich is just, you know, if you're the healthiest man in the room, you're in the wrong room. Like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be money wise. So I hope you said that because I've been telling everybody that you said that. So, well, I think it's an old anecdote and I'll take credit for there it. But it's, it's my, but I push myself too. And I built a network in Austin of people that are ahead of me and put myself in them, around them. One guy said to me recently, he goes, you know, you're really successful, but you seem to feel like you still have something to learn. Like you're, you're asking questions all the time. And, um, that's what I try to do. Like, I, there's always something else to learn in every area of life. And by the way, I might be very rich, but you may be a better dad than me, or you may be a better husband than me, or you may be in better shape or have better discipline around your diet. So everyone has an area that they're a multimillionaire, you know, metaphorically. And every and if I find out what that co corner of it is, I can learn from that person to be a better man because of it. And that's my mission in life, which is why I ask a lot of questions and I try to surround myself with people that are better than me in many areas of life. One of the things I like to hear is how people see, you know, how people survive those, those, you know, gut punches. So what's something that when it happened to you was devastating and it turned out was one of the best things that could have happened to you? Could you give an example? Yeah. I mean, I think everything bad, sadly, that happens to you, if you allow it to percolate, will become the best thing that happened to you. Almost everything. Um, the reason is we don't, soul search and get an opportunity to change what's not working until we get kicked in the teeth. But for instance, that nervous breakdown I had was I was trying to do everything. I was building cubicles, building computers, recruiting the agents, launching my offices, reading the Bible cover to cover, trying to eat perfectly, working out every day. And I was doing all this for a couple of years and I was just running into some walls and I just kind of broke a little bit inside. And my response to that was, as it always is, to go seek mentors, go seek teachers, go throw myself in a few seminars. And, and from the breakthrough that came from that is I really reinvented myself. And I came out of that with a lot of wisdom from other people as a person who never does the low, little stuff. I really just focus on the, on the big rocks and, and get that stuff done and try to delegate everything else. And once I tr made that transformation, it was like a rocket ship to space in terms of my success. Um, you know, I think my income went up 20 or 30 percent for the next 10 to 15 years just because of that philosophy. And I don't think I could have had it without that pain that I had of that breakdown, which led to a breakthrough, which led to really a new way that I could never go back to the old me because I remember the pain. Like the pain became a barrier for reversion. Um, that's one. I mean, there's a thousand. Um, my wife trains me all the time and, you know, makes me a better husband because of the pain or or, you know, like I'm having a new one now. So I've got a pain in my hip. I've got a torn labrum in my hip. I'm now 50. And what I'm beginning to come to terms with, actually, I've come to terms with it is 
I'm not going to expand my strength. I'm not going to expand my physical capability anymore. I'm, I've peaked. Now it's about nurturing and maintaining solid health for the next 30 years. So it's a different mindset, you know, and, and it's funny. I created GoBundance, which is all about push and drive and take the hill. And I love that, but I am no longer able to drive. I, I, it's not smart for me to drive and do the most GB9 I can or to go backcountry skiing with Tim on Mount Shasta or climb Kilimanjaro, all the things I love doing that I did in the past. Now it's about like, you know, like I'm just trying to stay in this range. I'm not trying to stretch out here or do I'm trying to stay here keep the consistency, keep the yoga, keep the lifting weights, eat right. And I'm not trying to push the boundaries anymore because the injuries are risky to the long-term health of the, of the, of the being. So sure. that's a new one that I'm really coming to terms with. And I've kind of come to terms with it, but I struggled with it a couple of years ago. And the injuries take longer to recover from when you do get injured. So, you know, benefits Absolutely. of being older. I, I appreciate your time. I have one last question. And I, I think, um, I think there's a lot to unpack with what you told us. So what's a question you wished someone would ask you and no one ever does? Oh my gosh. And the amount of times you said that's a good question, I think we're going to capture and that's going to be my ringtone. David Osborne yeah. just saying, that's a good question. You're, you're a good interviewer. Um, oh, thank you. You know, I think faith is an interesting thing for me. I have a very personal faith, and I know people are afraid of talking about faith, but I like unpacking that, and I think people are afraid to ask about it. Um, and it's not that I go to any church or I'm, you know, what you would call an avid anything, really, but I, I really do, when it's tough, I pray a lot, so I don't really know what the organizational hierarchical structure is up there, so I don't really judge whether it's Episcopalian or Buddhist or whatever, I just like to pray. I like to drop down and surrender to being the best vehicle for the universe to show up as I possibly can. And, you know, I call it God and I use the word Jesus, but I don't really know what those all mean. And I would love to explore that further. But, you know, you find two kinds of people, people that have an a, a, a affinity. This is the way it is. And it can't be under other, other different way. And that's one group. And then the other group are like, eh, it's all baloney anyway. It's just make-believe. So you don't really unpack that as much, the benefits of it. I'd be very interested if they did a psychological study on the benefits of prayer and surrender and what it can do for your life and how it can unhook you from junk and just move you through stuff, no matter what is actually up there in the heavens. I'm sure there's that's a Netflix you know, documentary on that, or there will be. Um, David Osborne, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in Colorado. And thank you very much, brother. Take care. Great to be with you, brother. Thanks. My pleasure, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Getting to There. Join us next time as we interview more people to find out how they got to there.